Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God and it contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, it contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. It also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. Glad you're here. Glad you're ready to study the Bible with us. And our regular viewers know exactly what's going to happen for the next 30 minutes. We're going to answer questions just as quickly as we can. And uh, if you wonder where we get the questions, we get them from our viewing audience. So if you've got a question for us, uh, let us have it and we'll get to it as quickly as we can. Now, there's a phone number on the screen, website on the screen. Use either one of those and tell us what you'd like us to talk about. And we'll try to find you some answers. And our goal is that at the end of the show, you know your Bible a little bit better and uh, understand that it's God's will for our lives and a great book to study. And we advocate Bible study on this program. So give us some questions. We'll try to answer them. Toby Levering and I will try to answer them. Toby's back. Good morning, Toby. We'll do our best. We'll, Hi, Steve. we'll try to, and if we can't find an answer, we'll tell them that there's no answer there, but we'll, we'll try. And we always uh, start with one for our viewing audience. Uh, question today is about David. What was David's job when he was anointed king? Uh, David got a pretty good promotion <laughs> from what he was doing to becoming king. And we'll uh, tell you the answer to that at the end of the program. So you and your family talk about it and see if you know that answer, and then we'll get to it later. All right, I think I drew the first one today, and it's uh, about angels. Uh, viewer asked, are all of God's angels holy? And uh, had to think about this one a little bit, and I think the key to answering it is what we mean by holy Unfortunately, a lot of people take holy and think it means moral perfection. Uh, if somebody's holy, then they never sin. They're, they're perfect. Uh, that's not really what the word holy means. The word holy means set apart for God. Uh, the tabernacle was called holy because it was a building for God. The temple was called holy. Jerusalem was called holy because it was set apart for God's presence. It uh, doesn't mean those things were morally perfect. It means they were reserved strictly for God. So if you use that definition about angels, are they all holy? Yeah, well, yes, they were created to serve God. So they're set apart for God. Now, the confusion is that uh, we read in the Bible about Satan and we presume from some of the hints we're given uh, that he was an angel and that some other angels rebelled with him. Uh, they were in heaven. They were created to serve God, uh, to be set apart for God. But obviously God also gave them free will. Uh, they could choose whether to serve God or not. And Satan and his angels chose not to serve God. Uh, they rebelled somehow. Uh, most people think it was because of pride. Uh, they were expelled from heaven. So they're angels, but they're certainly not holy. <laughs> they're, they're not set apart for God anymore. Uh, all of the ones that are still in heaven serving God, well, yes, I 
guess the answer would be, yeah, they're holy. Uh, they're still set apart for God and serving God and praising Him around His throne. Uh, we'll figure all that out when we get there. Uh, but are all of God's angels holy? I'd say certainly they're set apart for God, except for the ones that rebelled and had to leave heaven. All right, A what's your viewer after here? Which law are we under? Ask the question, if we are no longer under the old law, does that mean it is okay to steal and kill and commit adultery? Well, I'm, I'm sensing a little tongue-in-cheekness here. I, I'm, I'm assuming they don't really believe that we would believe such a thing. But we occasionally will answer questions from some folks who uh, believe that we should live under the old law, uh, under the Old Testament law, uh, which, as we have said before, if you want to... Uh, uh, try to do that, you certainly may, but you got to keep it 100%. Uh, we have explained many times that the old law, uh, several of it, is, uh, much of it is repeated in the new law. And in fact, it even goes beyond the uh, limitations of the old law and gets to the deeper matters of the heart. So uh, Jesus in its entirety, he fulfilled the old law. And so when you're trying to live under one or all or parts of the old law, what you're really saying is that it's Jesus plus some things. It's Jesus uh, plus my good works, Jesus plus uh, these other things. And it's, it really isn't. You don't need to add anything. Jesus fulfilled that law and Paul wrote that he nailed it to the cross so that we no longer live under the old law, under the written code, but we serve in the new way of the Spirit. Now, the new covenant, as I said, goes beyond the uh, requirements of the old. Uh, some examples of that I put here on the screen uh, about in regard to stealing. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, Paul wrote there to the church at Ephesus, "...let the thief no longer steal." but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So he doesn't just say, thou shall not steal. He says, rather, uh, there's a reason for your stealing is because you lack. How do you, how do you make up for that? You work, you earn a living. And then you, when you do that and you produce something with your own hands, not only can you earn, so you don't need to be able to steal, but you go beyond that, and now you're able to share with others. Isn't that good? The New Testament goes beyond the requirements of the old. Another example of this is in Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus spoke about murder. He said this, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. You see, he goes beyond saying, thou shalt not murder. He's saying, you got to deal with the hatred and the enmity in your heart uh, for having such wickedness in, in your hearts and your minds against your own brother or sister. So he goes beyond just simply saying, don't end the physical life of something. He says, I want you to deal with the matter of hatred in your heart. And then with the matter of adultery, an example, Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 28, Paul, or Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He says, It's not enough, enough that you just maintain <coughs> sexual fidelity with your spouse. You have to maintain fidelity in your heart and with the intentions and control your eyes and... Uh, 
look at the motivations uh, for your looking at another person. So uh, all of these are just simple examples that, yes, we live under the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. And many times it goes even beyond the requirements of the old written code. Uh, so that's uh, the difference between the new and the old. And now all righty. Thank you very that. much. Question about baptism. Actually, it's not a question. It's a statement. A uh, viewer says, Paul said he was not called to baptize. So, baptism's not a means of salvation. Well, obviously, we get a lot of questions about <clears throat> baptism and whether it's necessary for salvation and all that on this program. And here, viewer thinks he's found the answer. Uh, found one verse that Paul said, I wasn't called to baptize. And I've heard that argument many times. Uh, it's a poor argument because it doesn't read the context of the verse. Taking one verse is often dangerous, and we tell you about that on this program a lot. Uh, and on top of that, it's very faulty logic. So let's work through both of those. First, we'll look at the context. There is a verse that says that, 1 Corinthians 1.17. Uh, Paul said, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Okay. <clears throat> That's what that verse says, but like we tell you almost every week, a couple of times, you got to read the context. And you read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and Paul was talking about divisions in the church, the church in Corinth. They weren't getting along, they were arguing with each other, they were breaking into different cliques and parties. And Paul says one reason they were doing that was because they all had favorite preachers. Uh, some of them liked Paul, some of them liked Apollo, uh, etc. And Paul's argument, he gives them a lot of arguments, but in verse 15, here's what he says, 1 Corinthians 1, he's, uh, verse uh, 13. He said, uh, were you baptized into the name of Paul? So right there, he's saying everybody in Corinth was baptized. So that kind of messes up our viewer's argument. Uh, he says, were you baptized in the name of Paul? I'm thankful I didn't baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. So no one can say that you were baptized into my name. And then he puts in parentheses, oh yeah, I also baptized the house of Stephanus. Uh, beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Okay, so there's his argument is, <clears throat> you people that have a favorite preacher, boy, I'm glad I didn't baptize many of you because you could use that as an argument that, well, Paul baptized me, so I'm special. And his argument is, that wasn't what I was sent for, was to baptize people. I preached the gospel, and all of you got baptized because that's part of the gospel is you need to do that. So that verse taken out of context is completely twisted there by what, Paul's reeling saying. He actually says, everybody in Corinth was baptized. I just didn't perform many baptisms there. Okay, so read the context and you'll see that's wrong. Now, the faulty logic is that since Paul says, I wasn't called to baptize, that means baptism's not necessary. That's, that's a leap too far. Uh, I'd thought of this illustration while I was talking here. I am sitting in a studio, obviously, and looking into a camera. Uh, I'm in front of the camera, and behind the camera is a great guy named Myron. He runs the cameras. He adjusts them, he aligns them, he focuses them, points them in the right direction and all that. So listen to this logic. 
I didn't come to run the cameras. So running cameras is not important. You see how bad that logic is? Running the cameras is necessary. Somebody's got to do that. It's just not what I came to do. Okay, that's exactly what Paul is saying. Baptism is important. Uh, you've got to do that. But I didn't come to do that. Okay, so very faulty logic, very bad context uh, that our viewer is trying to read here. Uh, just because Paul wasn't called to baptize everybody he ran into uh, doesn't mean it's not important. Doesn't mean it's not necessary. So as long as Myron keeps the cameras focused, we'll be all right here. <laughs> but that's, Toby and I didn't come to do that, did we? And thank goodness for that. <laughs> all right. Um, Let's talk about a good way to study the Bible. Uh, we talk about that every week just a little bit because we know some people want to be more serious Bible students, and we have some ways to help you. We've got some Bible study materials that we'll happily send you and uh, let you study in your own home. Uh, some people are a little nervous about off free offers on religious TV programs. Well, this one actually is free. Uh, you won't get put on a mailing list. You'll never get asked for money. All you'll get is these free lessons, and you see eight of them here on the screen uh, in this first course. A very basic course about the Bible starts with the two lessons about the Old Testament and the New Testament. <clears throat> gets familiar with why there's two parts of your Bible. and uh, A lot of people don't understand that, and that makes Bible study real hard. But if you understand the Old Testament is different than the New Testament and why, uh, you've got a good foundation to start on. So that's where this course starts. And, uh, we'd like you to study it with us absolutely free of charge. All you got to do is call that phone number or log on to the website, say you'd like that free course. It'll come to you in the mail. Uh, we pay the postage both ways, so no cost to you there. All it takes is a little bit of your time and interest in the Bible. When you finish it, you'll know a whole lot more about the Bible. And we've got some more advanced courses we'll be happy to get to you. So uh, study the Bible with Know Your Bible Study Tools. All right, Toby, what's your viewer after viewer here? wants to know, if uh, can someone who was baptized lose their salvation? Well, we have uh, talked about this on the program before, and what we usually say, I think it's pretty good, is that while your salvation cannot be taken from you, you can choose to give it up. You can choose to turn away from Jesus. Many in Jesus' day decided they were following Him, they were going after Him, they wanted to be His disciples. But then there were times when he taught something that was very hard and they turned away from him and decided to no longer follow him. So can someone lose their salvation? Certainly. Uh, they can turn away at any time. Uh, just as you have to choose to put on Christ and to believe in Christ and uh, to turn away from sin and to confess him with your mouth, you can choose to, to, to decide I'm not going to follow him anymore. And of course, that would be a very sad decision. Um, but can a person who, let's say they've been baptized and are living the Christian life and they, they slip and they slide and they, they stop worshiping him, they stop studying his word, the relationship grows cold, um, and they just uh, turn away in their behavior and their lifestyle, can that person come back? Absolutely. If they're sincere and penitent in their heart and ask the Lord for forgiveness, I believe the Lord can restore. If He can tell us to forgive our brothers up to 70 times 7, 
I certainly believe that a person who uh, has stumbles and falls and turns away from the Lord can come back uh, throughout their life. Now, your journey will be easier if you uh, press on and persevere and maintain and grow and, ma and mature in your relationship with the Lord and not just keep going back and forth. But uh, can someone lose what they have chosen to receive? Certainly, if they choose to give it up. Second uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 20, the Peter, <clears throat> Apostle Peter writes, If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. So there were people that apparently even in Peter's day that knew Jesus and loved Jesus and served Jesus and then for whatever reason, uh, circumstances chose to turn away from him. Um, and he said their, their state is worse than the first because there's no, there's no more, nothing more, no more hope in this world beyond Jesus. So if you have find yourself in that situation, you were baptized and you were living faithfully to the Lord and now you, you know you're not doing the right thing, you're not living in the right way, you haven't been to church in forever, you haven't opened your Bible in forever, uh, your relationship with God has grown cold, I want to encourage you to repent, to turn away from that, to turn back to the Lord and pray to Him and ask Him for forgiveness and, and find a good Bible teaching church and, and sign up for the Bible correspondence course and, and you can rekindle that relationship again. So if you're in that need of, of hope, I want to tell you that hope is not lost. Thank you, Toby. Question about uh, a little bit of history here, actually. If you ever wants to know, what did Jesus mean about the old and new cloth and old and new wineskins? All right, we'll read that verse in just a moment, but let me point out a little something about Bible study here that might be helpful. Uh, this kind of thing, when you're reading along in the Bible and you read something that you, you don't know what that means. It's, I, I don't know anything about old and new wineskins. Uh, well, history has progressed. Uh, we don't uh, carry wine in goatskins anymore uh, in general, and well, for that matter, we don't patch old clothes anymore either. We just throw them away and buy new ones, uh, or I guess it's fashion to wear them unpatched with lots of holes in your jeans and things, so we don't patch them anymore. Uh, but you read something like that that it made perfect sense 2,000 years ago, and it doesn't mean anything. Uh, a study Bible will help you understand that maybe. If you buy a Bible that's got some study notes at the bottom, uh, the author will explain some of that history to you and help you understand it. A Bible handbook may explain that to you. Uh, a good commentary might explain that to you. So there's a few Bible study tools that might help you understand historical points like that, but uh, that's just a Bible study tip for you. Now, what did he mean by that? Well, let's read the verse first, and then we'll explain it. Uh, and I got the verse wrong on this somehow to the camera. Uh, Matthew 8 is wrong. It's, it's actually Matthew 9, verse 16 and 17. So it's my error. I, got, I don't know how I got that far off. But Matthew 9, go a chapter over. And Jesus said, No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And then it goes on to say you don't put new wine in old goat skins. Okay, here's the deal. Uh, uh, and some seamstresses know this today, that if you've got a tear in a garment and you want to patch it and you put a brand new piece of cloth on that garment, 
and sew it on, and then next time you wash it, the new, uh, the old garment's already shrunk. Uh, the new one will shrink uh, much more, and it'll make the tear worse. So you got to have pre-washed uh, patch to put on there. So that's Jesus' point there. And the goatskin, the wineskin thing is, uh, when you put new wine in a goatskin, uh, wineskin, it expanded. It had to ferment and all that. So if you put it in an old one that had already stiffened up and didn't have any expansion in it, it would burst. So you put new wine in new goat skins. So all Jesus is trying to say there is that he was doing things differently and it didn't fit all of the old law. So he was being accused of that. That question was actually about fasting and why his apostle disciples weren't fasting. And this is the example that we gave him. Things are new. Things are different now. And they don't fit exactly what we've always been doing. So that's all he's saying. There's a difference between new and old. And if we patched garments or carried wine and goat skins, we'd probably understand that a little bit better. <laughs> all right, let me take just a second from our questions and invite you to visit the Church of Christ. Uh, we're kept on the air by Churches of Christ and uh, supported by many of them. And we like to mention one or two each week uh, today. Let's talk about the uh, Moline Church of Christ at Moline, Illinois. A great bunch of folks up there that uh, believe this program's a good way to teach the Bible and help us stay on the air and help us teach the Bible in that area up uh, broadcast out of Rock Island and gets into Illinois and southeast Iowa there. Uh, so we appreciate their help and their support. And if you're looking for a church home, drop in and visit them sometime. I know you'd be warmly welcomed. Uh, you'd find a group of people that study and uh, honor the Bible like we do here on this program. Uh, maybe you just know somebody that attends that congregation. Uh, tell them. You saw them on Know Your Bible, and you appreciate them keeping the program on the air for you. Of course, any market you're watching in, you can probably find a Church of Christ close to you. Uh, if you're looking for a place to worship and fellowship with other Christians, drop in and visit them sometime. We appreciate their support. All right. Okay. I like this next question, question Toby. I like it. And they want to know, why does heaven need gates? Okay. <laughs> Well, heaven uh, is part of it, of what Steve referred to earlier about understanding uh, the, the culture of that time. And even in the culture of our days, a wall uh, symbolizes security and uh, peace and, and safety for any, any place that it surrounds. Uh, whether you're talking about the, the White House or uh, any sort of place or, you know, any place they want to keep secure, uh, they reasonably and wisely put a wall up. And that uh, uh, was true certainly in Old Testament times for a city, for a town to have a wall meant with, that it ha was large enough and, and had enough wealth to do so. But that wall also became very much their security and protection. Uh, they could keep evil out and allow things that they wanted in. And so uh, heaven... Uh, you look at that and say, well, what would be the need for a wall in heaven? What in the world would that transpire? Well, first of all, you need to understand that um, in Revelation where the walls of heaven are described, uh, that book is a book of prophecy and imagery and symbolism. And a lot of times we look at all that prophecy and symbolism and imagery and try to apply literal application 
um, and meaning toward it. And if when we get to reading Revelation literally, we get into a lot of trouble real quick. So you remember it's a vision, and, and as he described it, he's using symbolic language. Um, my best answer, and maybe Steve add into this, but I, I think uh, what John is saying by the gates of heaven and the walls is that it represents that heaven is not only our uh, final place, but it's secure, it's safe. Uh, we don't have to worry about any of the things that we worry about in the world uh, because God is the center. And with Him at the center, we are absolutely safe and secure, and you need not worry in that final home. Uh, Revelation chapter 21, uh, uh, John writes these words, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. So my answer to that is that the gates and that which is pictured in Revelation is largely symbolic to represent safety and security of God's uh, dwelling place with God's people. Anything okay. in, in addition to that? I had a question earlier. You had one, I don't remember this week or last, but you had a question about... Uh, uh, the third heaven, and Paul said he got to see that, but he couldn't tell people about it, that he wasn't allowed to tell, and it was inexpressible. So how much of the picture of heaven that John gives us is literal, and how much of it's symbolic? We don't know. Uh, I don't know what heaven's going to be like, whether it's going to have a real wall and uh, gates and all that. Uh, it's the best way John could picture it to us, probably, that we could understand it's going to be a marvelous place. So uh, our viewers, right, it's not going to need a gate, yeah. but if God wants to put a gate on it, that's <laughs> four gates, actually, uh, that's fine with me. So argue, we'll yeah. find out when we get there. <laughs> All right, got another unanswerable question here. A viewer wants to know, how long did Job suffer? course, famous story of Job in the book of Job about his uh, sufferings. And this viewer, how long did that go on? Well, all I know is it was more than a week. And that's about the best answer I can give you. Job chapter 2 and verse 13 uh, says that when his friends heard about his problems and came to console him, that they sat with him for seven days and seven nights. That's Job 2.13. That was before anybody talked. They just sat there with him and uh, had compassion on him. Now, they had to take a little while to get there, a couple of days maybe, we don't know. They sat for seven days. Then they had this discussion that's recorded. Uh, then God talked to Job for a while. And then they did some sacrifices. And then Job's sufferings were over. Now, how long that took? Nobody knows. We got no clues. So all I can say is more than a week. Could have been a eight, nine days at the least probably. Uh, could have been a month or more. We don't know. It probably wasn't years or anything like that, but probably a fairly short time, but fairly intense suffering. So more than a week is all we can tell you from the scriptures. Uh, don't think we have time for another question here, Toby. So let's make sure we get our trivia question answered. Uh, we ask about what was David's job when he was anointed king, and he was a shepherd boy as uh, the answer to that one. Now, obviously, he didn't become king immediately because he was a young boy. Uh, Saul was still king, 
And uh, Samuel came and told David that he was going to be the next king, but he had to wait a while for that. So he didn't make that promotion jump immediately, <laughs> but uh, eventually he did become king after being a shepherd boy. And then he did move to the palace and serve Saul for a while and uh, then battled against Saul. So he was a shepherd when he was anointed was the answer to that one. All right, we're out of time today, but we're glad you've been with us and I hope you come back next week as we try to answer some more of your questions. Until next week, have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.